What'd you think of that Mexico scene? Oh my god, just the description of, you know, he's flying down, he has this, like, interesting friend, you know, this... Marco. Marco. Do you think he's a Mexican drug lord? Like, that, like, or he's all legitimate? No, I think his business is clean. I think he... I think he knows Mexico, so any sort of millionaire, billionaire, whoever, you're going to have to have a certain relationship with the drug gangs. Not sure. not a, a legal one or an illicit one, but I think you have to know how to play the game. And so I, right. I get that Marco is clean, but he's also playing the game. Right. Yeah. He's got so connections. Got, got a connections, gets him into this house, and just the description of how he's methodically going through the, you know, through each room. And, you know, we'll spare some of the descriptions of the acts that the men are going through. Uh, but just, it's, it's just a fucking crazy scene, man. Uh, like, the, some of the kills are crazy. And then ultimately, you know, he makes it almost entirely through the house unnoticed until the very end. And luckily, you know, his friend is there, is is there to help him with, with the last couple kills, but he gets out unscathed. This scene reminds me of the other Mexican scene with, with, uh, with Mitch and taking yes. out all all those uh, gangbangers at the house as well, in consent to kill. Yeah, the gang that was holed up. Although I don't think that was in Mexico, they were definitely a Latino gang. Was it Leesburg? I think it might have been Leesburg, Virginia, where they had a safe house. And yeah, I think Rap also takes out thirteen, fourteen guys, something like that. But the count here for Reese, he gets twelve kills. One of them, he sliced his throat open, and that was the guy he saw had a gunshot wound, which sent him into an absolute fury, because he knows that was the slug that Lauren put into him. And so he really got revenge on that guy. Another one, he doesn't want to wake the woman, the prostitute next to him, so he uses the tomahawk, just a clean crack right through the back of his skull while he's in bed. He does kill a, a woman with a grenade. There is a frag down the hallway. He tried his best to leave a lot of the women and, and prostitutes in this safe house alone. But there was one he got with a frag. So he killed 13 people. 12 of them were hostiles. And then Marco kills another two guys and another one woman. So we got a total of 14 guys and at least two or three women down. Marco even keeps that one guy or one of Marco's security men says, hey, I took this guy as a hostage. And Reese looks at him and goes, no, I don't need to talk to anybody. Boom. He already has all the information. He's, he's such an adept investigator. He you know, he doesn't need any more information from them. Yeah, cool scene. Cool scene. Like you mentioned, the the next place he uses his tomahawk is in San Diego with his imam. Like, perfectly crafted villain. Like, the mini villain. And how... You know, he was used by the Jag, the Jag, what, Leonard Howard, right, to set up the hit on his boys over there. And he gets, plays the part of a, of a perfect graduate student doing some, uh, <laughs> some, some light research on what, what is it, uh, religious studies. What, what was the name of the course he was, he was taking? Yeah, some religious studies course, and what, I forget what university he said he's from. Was it Stanford? It was funny. I don't know. But he's like, what would a middle-aged professor of religious studies wear? You know what? Tweed jacket. I'm going to get a tweed jacket. <laughs> with the elbows, you know, with the elbow With patches. the elbows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He plays the part, man. Freaking goes in this place, kills him, and then puts his head on a spike to send a Dude. message. Yo, he doesn't just kill him. 
he has a full on conversation about religion and extremism. But what's amazing is he goes, oh, can I just take some notes on my laptop? And he has an old like 90s laptop that a, a professor his age might ha- might still carry. Yet inside it's hollowed out. The hard drive is removed. And it's just enough room for him to slip the tomahawk out of this empty laptop. And he's talking to the imam while he's pulling out the tomahawk. It's just absolutely insane. And then I would say it's the second most gruesome thing that Jack wrote. The first one we still have to get to that may involve intestines and bowels. But when Jack's using the tomahawk to slice the dude's spine, he's like describing it's easy to slice the neck, but when you need to decapitate, it actually takes a couple of unique Axe. movements to use that Winkler to slice the spine and the vertebrae to get the head removed. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, not for the faint of heart. Oh. So do you want to talk about the Admiral? Because that's a cool kill. Or Leonard Howard, who I think takes the cake for the most excruciating kill of them all yeah definitely howard takes excruciating that that one was just ridiculous so josh holder like just gets quietly sniped in the night like that that one was was an interesting kill and then we quickly move on to this suicide vest where mike tedesco barges into the admiral's office and just blows him up that at that point you're you're like why is he walking in and then all of a sudden he hands him a cell phone and then it clicks like because you recall back to a couple of chapters when he was, you know, building this improvised bomb. Yeah, that's right. He had Katie go around with cash to different construction stores and get all the materials. Oh, yeah. And pick up a van. He's finding things on like eBay and message boards. That's yeah, that's right. That's right. That's kind of cool. The descriptions of him building the uh, the IED and the suicide vest. Right. Yeah, we both liked Admiral Pilsner as this villain. Just listen to how he's described, quote, Admiral Gerald Pilsner was a short man, not out of shape, but not someone who immediately commanded respect. He was the quintessential officer in the most derogatory sense of the word. He commanded respect due to his rank, in stark contrast to a guy like Reese, who earned the respect of his men through word and deed. In the world of special operations, your reputation was your currency. And in that sense, Admiral Pilsner was a very poor man. The total opposite of Reese. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, why don't you talk about uh, Leonard Howard's, like that that excruciating, the, the worst kill of the season. True, but another thing about the suicide vest in the Admiral's office, later on when a team of SEALs is tasked with going after Reese, And one of them, who's his buddy, just can't do it. And he's relieved of his duty. He won't be on the mission because he looks up to Reese so much. Another guy goes, how many people did he take out at Warcom? He goes, that's the thing. The suicide vest was designed with just the right specs that it only took out Tedesco and the Admiral. He didn't even kill any, you know, the secretary, I think, just blew out an eardrum. But it didn't hurt anybody else. He goes... Oh, cool. Blowing up Warcom and not really hurting anybody who's innocent. I'm kind of liking this guy. Like the way he's doing these kills is just to exact revenge and not to indiscriminately hurt civilians or bystanders. Yeah. I mean, he's a stand up guy for a mass killer. (laughs) Right. 
how stand up can you be if you row a dude out into a mangrove swamp? You slice his intestines or his stomach so his intestines fall out. You use a knife to pin them to a tree and you force him to walk in circles around it and essentially strangle the tree with his own intestines and then leave him to bleed out. <laughs> that was probably the most inventive way I've heard of a kill or read about a kill in a novel yet. Like, I, like. Where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> Do, well, did you catch it? He said. Yeah, no, I know he said it, but like, how did how did Jack like? What he's just doing research about like how in the past people kill people. <laughs> I think so. Like Reese, he's a student of war, so he's a junkie for all that. But yeah, the Incans would use it. This has to be like your your theory, right? Why there were so many bad guys? Because Jack just had twelve ways he wanted to kill people. And so he had to come up with 12 bad guys to enact each of the 12, you know, revenge points. <laughs> 12 ways to get revenge on anybody who murders your family and best friends. <laughs> Handbook. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Is that most of the list? Did we cover the list? Yeah, it's most of the list besides like the sort of the big players, right? We have the Hartleys. We have Steen Ho Steve Horn. And then still alive, yep. Ben Edwards, which we haven't talked about yet. Well, he's he's a good friend. He's still offering, providing a lot of intel, and he's helping Reese make these connections to put more names on the list and get them done. It's really just that final scene now on Fisher's Island that we get to, right? Yep. Although speaking of Fisher's Island, you know who helps get him there? Two people we didn't talk about yet. One well, both who feature in the series, but one who very much features in the next book. The pilot? Oh, the pilot, Liz, uh, definitely is a close friend. I love their relationship, too. Yeah, that was, that was a nice relationship. He saved her. She was, uh, was it in Iraq or Afghanistan? Mm -hmm. But she got ambushed. Yeah, that was a cool story. Yeah, she, she, she got shot down. She killed six insurgents who were closing in on her. And then Reese defied his orders to stand down. And he went in and carried her out, quite literally carried her over his shoulder, out of the firefight, and even got shot in the leg doing it. And so they're really close friends. Practically, she's his sister, you know, that's how close they are. And that even comes up a few times. You know, there was a cool story also, a backstory about Katie. Katie Burnick, the journalist, now he's got a pilot helping him, good friend in Liz. Katie, good friend as a journalist. Her father was an army doctor. Yes. In Czechoslovakia, who was giving intel to the U.S. He didn't like what he saw his Soviet government doing, and he was helping the U.S. He was even giving medical records of a lot of the party elite in Czechoslovakia and a lot of the, the communist leaders. And guess who the case officer was handling? Katie's father? Reese's dad. Reese's dad. Yeah. At first when I was reading this, I was like, is this too much of a coincidence? But then I guess it it sets up for why she sought him out when it, over in Afghanistan, right? So right. she saw the name, put two and two together. But right. yeah, no, that, that was a nice little backstory. Just like Reese denied orders or defied orders to save Liz, Reese's dad was told by the higher-ups in the CIA not to get Katie's father out. When he was in danger... Reese's dad wasn't going to let one of his agents get caught 
And he made it his mission to get him out, even though Langley didn't want him to. And Langley said no. Right. So I guess part of me did wonder, how is Reese getting all this done? And he's really just that good. But you need close friends. Like, how do that many people want to do and risk their lives to help him on this mission? But it's totally viable because of who he is and how his family has been and the connections they've made. You totally buy into why so many people from Liz to Katie, who we thought Ben would risk their lives to help him. Right. Right. And the other person risking their lives is Rafe. Rafe Hastings, who provides the boat to take him out to Fisher's Island which is off the eastern shore of Long Island and up near Connecticut in the Long Island Sound. And Rafe's sister drops off the sailboat at the end for him. The Hastings, Chris, you haven't read it, are going to play a major role, major role in True Believer. So the Hastings family, keep that name in your mind. All right, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I like the character of Rafe. Like, and all, all of these small little characters, the good guys, the good guys are going to score very highly in this book. Just they, Jack is able to give him good backstories, makes you understand who James Reese is. He has these connections, why he's able to do what he does. All of them were super well thought out. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed all of them. Final scene. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. What's the third part called? We had the ambush as part one. The list is part two. Oh, yeah. What is it called? <laughs> part two is the list. Part three, the reckoning. The Reckoning. That's a great name. Yeah, no, it's all coming up to this culmination, right, of how are we going to deal with Horn, the Hartleys, and then finally, how are we going to deal with Ben Edwards, right? But I would say the Hartleys and Steve Horn are the bigwigs. They're the yes. power players. Because yes. Steve Horn is the guy with the capital, like the uh, the investment firm that's really pushing and driving this medical research and getting this product to market. His number one ally is the Secretary of Defense, Lorraine Hartley, who is slated to become president. She is the front runner for the nomination and a shoe in, they say. So now you got Steve Horn trying to get Lorraine Hartley, soon to be president, in his back pocket, pushing this stuff. Those are two big, big names and power positions you don't want to come up against, unless you're James Reese. <laughs> right, right. What did you think, I don't know, did you, this the ending where you, you actually pulled the quote that I, I wanted to pull, you know, you, you, whenever I want to pull a quote, you, you, you often have it. This idea, where is it? I'm trying to find it. How did you know that wouldn't blow off my head? I didn't. <laughs> oh, dude, I love that. I didn't, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that at the very end, because that's the last words of the book before the epilogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been beating around the bush here, right? But this Ben Edwards heel turn at the end. Did you buy it? Did you did you see it coming? What did you think of the the ultimate variant? Dude, I did not see it coming. And I'll be honest, I forgot about it from <laughs> two, three years ago when I first read the book. I just was so brought in, bought into the story. I didn't see it coming even the second. Well, I guess this is the third time I read it. I didn't I forgot it. I for, it it caught me off guard. But then it made a lot of sense. How was Reese getting all this intel? Why was it so good? Why was he able to put these connections together? He was kind of being led, someone from the inside taking care of loose ends. Right. 
And the last part that made sense was the more the people in the plot get picked off, the bigger the slice of pie left for those still standing. So obviously, it you know, it's a Ponzi scheme, right? The guys at the top are going to screw everyone else, even the people who they made deals with, because if you're out of the deal, bigger chunk for me. And Ben said, I had a price. And when that price reached double digits in the millions, so he would have got more than 10 million for this. Man, he was turned. And like he said, Lucy and Lauren were already dead by the time he was brought in. That was already decided upon. Yeah, yeah. So what's done was done. I didn't see it coming, but when I when it happened, I like thought back to every scene he popped in because he sort of like pops in out of nowhere in like some of these scenes, right? And yeah. it makes total sense because he actually knows what's going on, and like yes, with the fact that he like, you know has this crystal clear in, in, information, and he's what is he? He's he's worked for the CIA. He's off books. He does something like private contractor government worker, intel guy. And again, I'm super looking forward to seeing Taylor Kitsch play this role because I think he's going to nail it. I just, I look at him oh, yeah. and he, he looks at like this kind of guy that's going to backstab like a, a, a really good friend. I don't know. Yeah. Anything else we missed? Dude, yeah, we did. Katie at the end and then the epilogue. Sorry, there was just so much, so much, there was so much killing in this book. It's like hard to keep up with everything. When Reese comes down and thinks he has the Hartleys and Steve Horn cornered because right. he took out the sniper and he had a bomb under their security crew waiting in the in the SUV. There's another heartbreaker. Not only is Ben Edwards turned, he's got debt cord around Katie Burnett's neck with a dead man switch. How did you feel about Katie being used kind of as bait here or this bargaining chip that her life was on the line? Is it just Steve Horn being a complete asshole? Yeah, we haven't really talked about Horn a lot, but I guess besides the Admiral, he's probably the other big bad that gets fleshed out the most, and he's just sleazy, skymbally, like, you just really don't like him. I think, like, the first time we meet him, he's described to this guy who everyone else is complete shit, you know, he, he grew up just being, like, spoon-fed as a baby, like, was, was he quarterback at Stanford or something like that, like, some bullshit, silver, golden spoon, had everything in life. So yeah, when he does that at the very end, you know, you, you could see it coming. Like he's gonna he's gonna do anything to preserve him, his life, his money. Hell, you know, he's the whole reason why these people started started dying, right? <laughs> yeah. And everything is like a sales pitch. Even at the end. Oh yeah. When he's oh yeah. Ex he's explaining Reese, if you trade your life, we'll let Katie live. You kill yourself right here, right now. It, it even says he's like making another sales pitch. And he does that to the Hartleys as well. He tells Lorraine Hartley, oh, this is going to be okay. And she's getting pissed that he's held so much from her. And a lot of this killing, he's he's masterminded. And he just keeps convincing her, it's more money for us. This thing's going to work out. Right, this right. cockiness. It's almost like, remember the opening scene of Lions of Lucerne? Remember that like politician... Oh, no, I think he was an energy magnate. He was like one of these wheelers and dealers. He was having that. Oh, meeting. yeah, yeah, yeah. In the meeting in, in yeah, yeah, in yeah. The room. About. He's schmoozing with some uh, politicians that he brought over to his house. He reminded me of Horn a little bit here, that kind right. of persona. Or the guy killed in term limits. Yes. The drunk yes, banker yes, yes. who comes home and, rap and Scott Coleman snaps his neck. 
I feel like that's a trope and, and Steve Horn is, is up there with, you know, how Vince made these characters and, and Brad Thor makes these characters. Well, this whole book had some term limits vibes to it, right? Oh, it did. Definitely did. Yeah. Which is a big influence for Jack, as we know. Yeah, definitely. Dude, what about these final words? So before we get to the epilogue, we'll cover real quick. The final words of the book are kind of devastating. Because Reese gets out of the quagmire. He shoots all three of them. Lorraine Hartley, Steve Horn, and Ben Edwards. Ben Edwards, when he, he gets shot, releases the button. Right. And Katie doesn't blow up. And she's freaking out. But they've got to hightail it out of there. And Liz Riley picks them up with the plane, always there to help out. And Reese doesn't go. He goes, I can't have you guys, Liz and Katie, two people he dearly cares for, involved any further. He wants them to get away and the trail to go cold so no one can connect them. He gives Katie the flash drive with all of the recordings from what just happened and how Steve and Ben and Lorraine implicated themselves before they were killed. All the other intel that he compiled with Ben Edwards, Katie's got it to go tell the story. But she asks right as she's getting on the plane and Reese takes off. How did you know that bomb wasn't going to go off? And the final words that Reese says, I didn't. Dude. Yeah, I didn't know how to feel about that. (laughs) He gambled. He gambled. Yeah, I guess he was gambling with this. The idea of he knew who Ben was and that Ben probably would be bluffing in that situation. But also just, I don't know, I was, I kind of felt torn. Like, wow, you would, I mean, I know he's at this like high point of revenge, right? And he just found out that a very good friend of his turned on him and he's almost checked all the names off his list. But there's this other, this other person who just recently came into his life. Not like he has a super long relationship with him, but, you know, she shared that heartfelt story with him about her father and his father. I don't know. I was like, wow, I guess it's just, you know, it's made for TV plot ending. But, you know, you had to think about it. Like, he put her life in in danger, right? Well, guess what? True Believer goes into it. Really? Dude. I cannot wait for you to read it. Yep. It, I mean, it rightfully so is a huge sticking point for Katie, right? What's she thinking on this plane? Who is this Liz character? What did Reese do? Did he really gamble with my life? Is he who I thought he was? And man, yeah, this is called the the reckoning. There's going to have to be some reckoning there with their relationship. So, okay. Although I may be spoiled too much for you because the ending scene, he's on that boat in the epilogue. He's out at sea, ready to just meet Lauren and Lucy and let the tumor take him away. Doesn't even know if he'll make it across the ocean. And you know what he has with him? The list. Oh, the list. Yeah, he puts out to sea. That was a nice touch. He puts it to his heart. Yep. And lets it drop. I just love that the list is written on a picture (sighs) drawn by Lucy. With a rainbow and the family portrait of the three of them. It's heartbreaking. They better get that right in the TV show. Dude, when they show the list, they ha- I need to see the list. I need to see the crayon drawing. Oh, yeah, it, it has to happen, 100%. I think out of everything in this book, even all the crazy kills, I want to see the list more than anything. Yes. yes. But, spoiler, there's now been five books. He's not terminal because he got a voicemail, right? 
but he doesn't have his phone. It's in evidence collection when Dr. German calls. Yeah. It said that he has a 75% chance that he can remove the tumor safely, right? And obviously we know there's now been five books. So I have, while I haven't read True Believer yet, I'm assuming he gets yeah. the tumor removed. And this is something that's mentioned. Yeah, you're going to have to find out who finds the voicemail on the phone and evidence. And how do they get to Reese on the sailboat and where he's headed. So he does make a little bit of a turn on the sailboat. I could tell you that. So oh, True Believer right, so- coming at you. We got a lot of questions. We got, you know, the whole Katie stuff. We have does he does, how does he find out that he's actually not dying or that he doesn't have to die? Does he get away, you know? So, cuz he's still like well, I guess she's going to she's going to tell the world what happened, but he still did kill a lot of people. <laughs> so, that's that's something that's, <laughs> that's got to be that's something that's got to be addressed. I I hope at least it it is all addressed. I will tell you, it's addressed satisfactorily. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Dude, I finished this book. As we get into the scorecard, and the first time I read it, the second time I read it, and now the third time I read it, every single time I finished it and go, that is literally one of the best things I've ever read. It is a complete story. It is an almost almost perfect complete story, start to finish. All right, so let, let's get into our scorecard here, Mike. Let's do it. Plot and action. Tell me, what are you thinking? I gave it a solid nine. It was very good. The uh, I get both solid nines. Like the plot hat was gripping. I I'm actually going to change the the plot to a ten because just the story. Yes, sir. Of everything made sense. It was gripping, engaging. You know, I guess I gave gave the action a nine because yeah, there was a lot of action, but there was also like just a lot. Most of the story was like this methodical sort of thriller spy piece of like finding out the information. Then we got like little spurts of action here and there, the mm. very beginning. Okay, so maybe more the pacing of the action. I think there's a ton of it. But I could I could see it ramps up towards with, the end. You know, it yeah, it, it does how it unfolds. Okay, I understand that, dude. I went ten and ten, action and plot. I don't I can't think of a story that's better on both of those if I'm being honest with you. It's uh, like I said before, almost a perfectly complete story. And I love how it unfolds. Because of that, I'm also a perfect 5 on buy-in. So, our for anyone who doesn't know, the Thriller Pod scorecard is a 50-point scoring system. Action and plot get 10 points apiece, being the most important categories. Buy-in Bad guys, good guys, setting, cover, and a free space for a winner. Each of those is five points for a total of 50. So I got 10 and 10 for action and plot, five for buy-in. What'd you say for buy-in? I gave it a five. Like I completely bought the entire story. Absolutely. I was gripped, engaged the entire time. There was nothing that sort of made me dip and, you know, I, I, I was just engaged the entire time and I didn't, I didn't question anything, so... Yeah, it gets a five. There's no plot holes. Yeah, there's no plot holes that take you out of it. The bad guys. What do you think about the cabal of characters? You know, I thought they were all decently solid. I gave them a four. I sort of dinged them on the fact that there was just a lot of them. And a lot of them that, while interesting, just like because we had so much, we couldn't like fully dive deep, like truly deep into any single one. So, yeah, that's why I gave it a little, little bit of a ding. I'm going to agree with you on the villains. 
they each had a unique characteristic they brought to the table, like Mike Tedesco, right? Found himself in the wrong place, got in bed with the wrong people, realized he wasn't on board with this, but he was in too deep. Or Holder, who was a special agent of some kind, so he had that skill. You had the bankers, you had the Hartleys, the politicians. That was really well-crafted and overall well-rounded group of villains. But yeah, no one really particularly got under my skin. Like, no one really, truly made me squirm. Right. Horn, you saw how bad he was. Maybe, yeah. Hartley, yeah, she's the Secretary of Defense, so she's a power player, but... And she's pretty evil in some of her conversations, but... Right. Real Hillary Clinton vibes there. I went four out of five. No one really ran away with the villain piece. All right, how about our good guys? I didn't want to give him quite a five because I feel like we're building a team. You know, like, if you think about, like, a Mission Impossible, like, we're beginning to see the beginnings of, you know, like, the Ving Rames or or the... Um, I forget his name, uh, the, the character's name, but uh, anyways... You know, like this, the side characters that when you, or like in James Bond, where you have Quartermaster and Monty Penny, like the first time you see them, you you learn a little bit about them. But I feel like eventually these characters are going to grow and we're going to see a lot more of them. But ultimately, they were very good. So I gave, I gave it a, I didn't want to give it a five, but I also didn't want to give it a four. So 4.5. Four and a half. Okay. Okay. I went with a five. Solid five. I mean, you are high on this book, man. I think the way the people surrounding James Reese look up to him and revere him, whether it's people in his team or people who knew him and his family on a personal level. I love the people he's bringing in to help him and how they're a hundred percent on board with him along the way. I think it's just really cool. I love Katie. I love Liz, love Reese in the beginning. You love Boozer, right? All right. All right. Lauren and Lucy, I got to give a a tribute to them. So I'm going five out of five. Okay. All right. What about setting, Mike? I went a little low on setting. Yeah, I... I don't know. I guess... I was torn here. I'm trying... So the problem is, coming off of Brad Thor novels... There's no real one place described so completely and so well. Yeah. Besides San Diego. He does describe San Diego very well. Right. That's like the only city that he describes really well. And you can make sense of that because that's where he was stationed for such a long time. But I felt like coming off of Brad Thor and the globe trotting we do and the the descriptions we get in those, it's sort of I was sort of maybe maybe I'm setting up for failure by comparing it to that. But yeah, some of the other places we go to, we don't get that great of descriptions. So I gave it I ultimately gave it a three. Yeah, I think that's valid. I went as high as a four out of five because I think you're right. There's no one place I was 100% transported to and was described so viscerally that I, I, I sensed it. But each place I have, a, I have a great picture of. So Wyoming, even though we're not there long, description of him traipsing through the mountains and he picks the first day of hunting season so he right. can make it look like it was a hunting accident. Right. Going through the hills in this road of Wyoming – is in my mind, even though it was just a couple of pages. The mangrove swamp. The way I can see and feel Howard in this swamp, walking around this tree. Again, it's not a big, huge part of the story, but I can sense it. I could feel it. Uh, Same thing on Fisher's Island. You know, this getaway 
between Long Island and Connecticut for the hoity-toity, the the upper crust of society, I I I felt like I was there. So there was no one place that we were at. Maybe Coronado Beach, maybe San Diego. That's true. But each individual place we went to, I still got a great flavor for. So I went four out of five. All right, you're you're selling me. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it another half piece. Okay, I got you to the three and a half. All right. Now, for people who don't know the No Limits brand, we are very big on covers. So the next part of the scorecard is known as judge a cover by the book. Chris, how do you judge these covers? Kind of harshly. Um, <laughs> really? Really? I'm not going to lie. The main reason is that three out of the six covers each have a picture of a face or a guy. And I'm not, as you know, and I think you are too, not a big fan when they try to cat like you know the German. We don't love the German ones because they all often have like a Mitrap or or a Scott Harvath depiction, and especially like the main one that was the original one, that was not the guy that I had in my head. Okay, and if that's the guy that I think James Reese is, that's not what Chris Pratt looks like. <laughs> okay, so a disconnect. Maybe that's just like why I'm because then I also see him on cover on cover C and. I need to see him in the show because I know he can get ripped as Scar as Star Lord, but again, I just don't see him as this whatever they're showing this James Reese guy in Terminalist. And then I looked at the covers ahead for you know Savage Son and True Believer, and it's not like the same person. It's like a different person every time. Did you did you catch on that? They keep the trope going of the person. It's really not. I I kind of thought he looks the similar. Oh, maybe he does look similar, but interesting. I don't know what different angles. Uh, I would say it's from different angles. Different but... angles. Okay. Well, actually, it looks like he's got a tattoo. Can you see his arms on any of the other covers? No, I think it's mainly. Yeah, his face. you're right. Having people trying to actually show that what the main character looks like on a cover, I'm not a big fan of that. But overall, I I really like these compositions. I so like I think individual schemes. pieces like the of schemes. the covers don't work right. The color scheme. I, I love the red on the capital, the white of the rotunda against this blue background. So it's kind of looking like a flag. And then in B, I do like how there are these strips, these strips of paper almost torn apart. Makes me redactions. think of redactions or putting together pieces of a puzzle, getting intel, little bits here and there. One of the kickers for me. I love Cover C. I love, for anyone who doesn't know, we will post cover a graphic. Cover C is really good. It's probably the best cover. Yes. For anyone who doesn't know, we'll post a graphic of these six covers. And Cover C is the movie one. And I think they did a great TV job show. with this. Particularly because they're really playing up the memory loss and the, the drug and the PTSD angle of things. The TV show, I think, is going to run with that as with a theme. That. Yeah. And so to have half of Chris Pratt's brain essentially missing and crumbling and filled in with uh, the scene bombed of, out buildings. Right. Potentially the scene where he loses all of his men. You see at the very bottom all of these caskets, right? Right. Exactly. The caskets at the bottom. And then Terminal is cut through like a list. The slash. And we saw that in all the media about the TV show. I thought that's genius. And I'm kind of looking at the other covers. And wishing they had that. 
that terminal was slashed through the actual word. It's such a great touch by the Amazon team, the Prime Video team. Although we do get some slashes in Cover E, so Cover E actually pushed has me the up list to a four point five. Yeah, ooh, it's got the list, it's got the bullet points, it's the German version. Die Abschlusslist, guessing Terminalist. You know, this is Ian James Reese thriller, but that German cover is mint. Josh Holder crossed out Saul Agnon. Oh, it's so cool. I love that. Is that all the covers? Any other ones you want to talk about? Apparently, there was a German release where it was just called Haas, which means hate. I have no idea why they completely changed the title. Interesting. Okay. And I don't know why this guy is wearing a suit in the middle of a desert. So that's thrown me off. You know what? I'm going to go four. I'm going to go four out of five. Love the covers. Couple things off with them. But for some reason, this release just says Haas. <laughs> I don't know. And dude's wearing a suit in the desert. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going. I'm going for four out of five. Okay, I went to three point five. Okay, okay. Well, Chris, what is your free space? What are you giving a bonus five out of five for? Something you loved about the book? It's got to be the Mexican takedown scene. That's my Ooh, five out okay. of five. Just the description of that, like, we we didn't go, you know, we're somewhat family friendly. We don't curse that much. But just, I don't know, some of the depictions that he, that he references in there were just hilarious. And then juxtaposed with this, seeing his precision in fighting. And we really, like, see who James Reese is in terms of an operator, like, here. We see him in terms of, like, his skill in, like, spycraft and other means. But just how he's able to get in. And even, like, the little quip he says with... This whole Hollywood image of two shots to the to the body, one to the head, that's actually like bullshit. It's actually you, the Mozambique you use, method. Yeah. You use yeah. either you can use one bullet or ten bullets. It doesn't matter. Whatever you need, need. They need to go down. So Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do to take the guy down. Mine's the Mexico scene. What about you, Mike? Yeah, that, that scene does establish Reese as the operator we've been told he is. But that's where we get to see him knocking down doors, you know, knocking down doors, taking people out, clearing rooms. And so it's kind of cool that that gets established. You know, I'm just going to give it up for Jack Carr with my five out of five. Just Mm, as a debut book, some of the writing here is just phenomenal. We talked about the plot as a whole and the character development. But if we zoom in, there's just a lot of individual gems some of these lines are just perfect we read a bunch of them already but two others that i really liked so five out of five for jack's writing in his debut book he writes at one point quote reese looked like a man preparing for war which is exactly what he was whoever these people were they had taken everything from him everything but his will to fight for that they would pay dearly or another one when he's preparing with Marco and Marco's watching him, he says, quote, Reese was all business. Tonight, that business was death. So, man, just quotes like that. The ones I read here throughout, Jack Carr gets a five out of five for some awesome writing in this debut novel. Very true, Mike. Very true. What's the total? What does that give you, Chris, on the scorecard? It gives me a pretty decent score of 44.5. 
Okay. Okay. I did it. I went 47 out of 50. Wow. I don't think we've had a score that high on the Thriller podcast yet. No, I don't but think so. But this book is almost perfect for me. 47 okay. out of 50. All right. There it is. That's the Terminalist. All right. So next week, we will be bringing you some more Jack Carr content. Please, you know, by the time this episode drops, we've already released our instant reaction to the Terminalist trailer, as well as uh, Mike's interview with Kevin and uh, what was the name of the uh abraham abraham the high schooler yeah so go check out that as well as as soon as that first episode drops on july 1st we're going to be consuming it non-stop we're going to be bringing on some guests to do some instant react pods so yeah looking forward to that as always we need to thank our patrons our special operator sherry f our special agents daryl kevin george matt dawn dennis peggy Catherine, ray bridget jeff and mark Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at thrillerpod.com or at Thriller Podcast. And as always, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm-hmm.